chapter. Now, we're starting this morning. In a class this size, we're actually going to have class participation. I have been asked many times, would you lead a discussion class? My answer has always been no. There are those gifted in such things. I'm not one of them. I'm not very good at that. But this morning, I'm going to try and have some class discussion. Are you ready? <clears throat> okay, we're done. Now, let's get to the lecture. <laughs> no, uh, there's a little more discussion than just that. Okay, first of all, here's what we've got to do. I need to know, I want you to think about how you have communicated in your life. You got something, you want to you communicate it, you got a message, you got an idea. How in your life, what, what methods have you used uh, to communicate? All right, here's the quiz. First of all, who's communicated with a computer? Oh, yes. Um, who's communicated with a typewriter? Okay, that's good. Yeah, he, he said these aren't fair questions. Now we're getting old. Um, a BlackBerry or some equivalent. I got an email from someone last week on the BlackBerry asking me, are you going to be taking the lawsuits for those of us whose thumbs are two inches shorter now from using the BlackBerry? I emailed back and said, no, you knew about it when you started. Um, the BlackBerry. Okay, how about this? Cell phones. Everybody? Cell phones two ways. How many of you text on your cell phone? Wow. Okay, how come we don't have all your internet addresses in our database for this class? What are you dodging? Um, okay, let's get a little more technical. A rotary phone? A rotary phone? Look, the kids, kids are having their parents explain to them. That's what mom and dad used to use. It's over here. Um, okay, how many of you have ever had, uh, how many of you either were children or have had children and have found an ability to communicate with your face? Uh-huh. Sometimes you can, yeah, communicate. Becky is able to communicate with me with, with facial gestures sometimes. And uh, um, it's delightful. All right, now we're going to get a little more complicated. How many of you, how many of you have ever learned or used Morse code? A few. How about Morse code? <laughs> when I prepared the lesson, I was banging away. I think I was, uh, I was in New York City as I was typing this stuff. And it was late at night, and I'm half asleep and half awake, and I'm trying to get this thing cranked out and I typed it out meaning Morse meaning Morse code I typed out Morris code and I emailed it out to the 28 people who read my lessons I got to know how many of them actually read the lessons because they're the ones who all sent me back hey idiot it's Morse not Morris and of course Dale Hearn sends it back with a picture of a cat attached and a meow all right, next question. This is going to help date you. How many of you... Well, breaker one nine. This here's a rubber duck. You yeah. got a copy on me, big fan? Come on. All right. How many of you, either yourselves or know someone who can read or use Braille? 
okay, a number. Jennifer Applegate is one of our members in this class who reads in Braille. When I emailed out the lesson, she emailed me back and said, you left out Braille. I said, you're right, Jennifer. Thank you. How about sign language? Anybody know or use any sign language? You can do the alphabet. You can do whole words. Lots of ways to communicate. When I was in ninth grade, Jennifer Williams and I, in Mr. Lida's algebra class, devised a secret code. <laughs> Have you ever devised a secret code? How about this? Here's, a, here's a one for you, Mike, in the back. What's that mean? Strike. What does that mean? Now, I'm getting this class discussion stuff down. What's, what's that mean? Touchdown. Okay, there was another way I wanted to communicate when I was a kid. I really wanted to do smoke signals. Okay? And I can recall trying to talk my mom into letting me start a fire big enough for some smoke signals. If I've not been able to do it yet, but if any of y'all ever get a chance, call me, I want to come over. Because I just think that would really be cool. Now why on earth do we start this class this way? This class really addresses the speaking in tongues issue that took place in Corinth. And I should have sent out an email or a letter because a number of you have said, will you ever please deal with this? And you've been asking me to for seven years. Okay, today. Um, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. And it's important because it's, it's a culmination of three other weeks we've had on the Holy Spirit. We don't just dive into 1 Corinthians and read about speaking in tongues without first laying the foundation and the background we need to be able to study it on, 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 uh, 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 in, in the way that we need to study it. So let's review a little bit of where we've been. If you were here last week, we talked about, uh, my slide was this one right here. We talked about the fact that we live historically in a time gap right now. Jesus was born, he had his earthly ministry, he died, was resurrected, and then ascended into heaven with the promise that he would come again. But during that time that Jesus is physically not present on earth, that gap between his ascending into heaven and him coming again, that gap is the time where the Holy Spirit ministers to us, ministers Jesus to us, teaches us, does a number of different things. And that's where we were last week as we discussed Paul's concept of uh, that, that he was so good at explaining of how the Holy Spirit acts and, 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 and empowers the church and guides the church and leads the church during this time that Jesus is not physically present with the church. Okay. How then... If the Holy Spirit is going to be doing this, and the Holy Spirit's going to be communicating to us and through us, how does the Holy Spirit communicate? What, what uh, uh, type of, of uh, uh, method or what tool or what, you know, is, is it going to be in a secret code? Is it going to be in hand gestures? Does he type letters? Does he use the Blackberry? You know, does he use a rotary dial phone or a cell phone? How is it that the Holy Spirit communicates during this time gap? Well, let's take it another step. Let's pull up another slide from two weeks ago. 
two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come. He will send the Holy Spirit once he ascends into heaven. And the Holy Spirit will be in the believer. The Holy Spirit will, will come and help the believer understand not only the believer's relationship with Christ, but Christ's relationship with God. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will teach the believer, will remind the believer what the believer needs to be reminded of, will bear witness to Christ through others, through the disciples, will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, will guide the believer into truth, and will glorify Christ. Well, it's going to, the Holy Spirit, He's going to have to communicate to do this. How is he going to communicate? How is he going to teach? How is he going to remind? How is he going to glorify? And does he do it the same way day in, day out, year in, year out, decade by decade, century by century, continent by continent? I will suggest to you as we look at this, the scripture nowhere says this is how the Holy Spirit will do it. The scripture does say this is what the Holy Spirit will do. But there is no box put around God on how God will do it. So with that in mind, I want us to journey back to Corinth. And I want us to learn how the Holy Spirit was communicating to the church at Corinth. Not only to the church, but through the church. And as we examine Corinth, I want to do it... Uh, in a way that, that is historically accurate. Let's have integrity in our Bible study. And so, uh, first thing we need to do, lest we think Corinth was the same as CFBC, is we need to compare our situation to the situation in Corinth so that we can think a little bit more closely how they were thinking when they got Paul's letter so that we can better understand Paul's letter in its original context before we even begin to try and apply it to our context today. Good biblical scholarship will take a letter like Paul's which was written to address specific problems at a specific church. Good biblical scholarship will take that letter and try and understand it in the context in which it was written first and then try to apply it to the context we live in today. That's what we should do as good scholars. So if we're going to do that, let's compare our situation today to that at Corinth. We've got Corinth on the left. We've got CFBC on the right. First of all, we're on one side. The Corinthians are on the other. And we both live in the gap. Wouldn't you agree? If the gap is that time between Jesus' ascension and His coming again, when the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit's going on, we're living in that gap, but so were they. We both are living in the gap, right? All right. So, gap. We got both of us. Next, we both have a ministry of Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's doing has the same purpose and is doing the same things for the church today that he did for the church at Corinth. Jesus did not say, okay, here's a checklist of things the Holy Spirit's going to do until you get to the 21st century, and then it's going to change. 
Or it's going to change in the 1400s. Or it's going to change in 1922. No, he said, this is what the Holy Spirit will do until I come again. So both of us and the Corinthians were living in this gap period we're talking about where the, the Holy Spirit is ministering Christ. All right? Let's talk about some things that might be different. First of all, the Corinthians had the apostles. Right? Now, they may not have had all 12, but it, Paul started the church. He's an apostle. The last, not one of the twelve. You read it, it looks like Peter went to the church. Some of them were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. Right? You've got the apostles, and if you don't have them physically there, you could write them a letter. Have any of y'all had any run-ins in the hall with any of the original twelve apostles? And I know some people are looking older and... and, and it might seem to have been around then, but have you bumped into Paul? Okay, the, the Corinthians, they had the apostles. We don't. Or do we? Well, we don't physically have the apostles, but in a sense, we have the apostles and they don't. Do you know why? The testimony of the apostles is in our book. The Bible has the testimony of the apostles. We've got writings of Peter that the Corinthians didn't have. We've got writings of Paul that the Corinthians didn't have. Oh, about the time they got 1 Corinthians, they had 1 Corinthians. But we've got some other writings they didn't have. We've got... Uh, 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 the Gospel of John, they didn't have that. We've got three letters of John, they didn't have that. We've got John's Revelation, they didn't have that. We have access to apostolic stories and, and writings and teachings and doctrine that they did not have access to because we've got them in the Word. Right? Which brings up another issue. The New Testament. Did the Corinthians have the New Testament? No. They didn't. The Corinthians didn't have the New Testament. Most of it wasn't written at the time Paul's writing 1 Corinthians. And it wasn't in a mass Xerox machine being passed around anyway. Though the church was making copies and, and holy writings were moved around. And it's amazing. You can go back and listen to our church history class. It's amazing how quickly the scriptures did permeate and were recognized as canon in scriptures. But it wasn't at the time that Paul's writing 1 Corinthians. They didn't have New Testaments then. We've got the New Testament. And, and I'll, I'll underscore something here. We not only have it, but we have had it for almost 2,000 years. For 19, 1,800 years plus, the church has had the New Testament. And, and that actually makes a difference because if you come to church on a Sunday, let's say we came to church on a Sunday and it was just the most bizarre thing in the world. We came to church and everybody forgot to bring their New Testament, including Pastor Fleming. The entire walls of CFBC do not have a New Testament. 
They've been removed. Someone cleaned the building and took them all out. Our church service would still proceed and probably wouldn't have a, a massive heresy oozing out every pore because we didn't have our New Testament one week. Because we've had the New Testament for so long that we've stored it up in our hearts and in our minds and in our classes and in our teachings and in our lessons and, and in our songs and in so many different places. The Corinthians, they never had it. They didn't grow up with it. They didn't grow up Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts and Letters to the Romans. They don't know the songs to find the books. We got something they didn't have. All right, what, what else? New Testament. How about this? Centuries of church history. They didn't have that. They didn't have someone who's able to say, wait a minute, the church figured this out in 300 A.D., and it's orthodoxy, and it's been followed. Martin Luther came forward and found this. Or Pope Gregory the Great decreed this. Or whatever it may be within the, 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 the centuries of church history that we have access to that they didn't. Now, why is this important? Because we communicate differently. We have different things to communicate. The Holy Spirit's got different tools to communicate with us than He had to the Corinthian church. The Holy Spirit could not move the Corinthian church to study Romans 8. There wasn't a Romans 8. The Holy Spirit could not move in the pastor of the Corinthian church if they had a pastor in that sense could not move in the heart of that pastor to teach through the Gospel of Luke like Pastor Fleming is right now. They didn't have it. So the Holy Spirit's got a different chore. A world with one Blackberry and no internet is not a useful tool. If you're the only one with email account, well, there's no point in having one. Who are you going to email? And who's emailing you? Different times. And, and I'm just talking, this is just plain 2 plus 2 is 4. This is not rocket science. This is just us thinking through so that we approach the Corinthian letter fairly. Does that make sense? Now, one other thing we need to do as we approach the Corinthian issue is we've got to discuss what the problems were that Paul was writing to address. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 I drive. I drive Becky crazy, but I also drive a car. Do you drive? Some of you drive. You ever seen these signs? I wish we had an 80 mile an hour speed limit. I would not be so close to Constable Hickman's officers. Um, they've gotten to where they know me on a first name basis. Mark, did you know this was a 50 mile? Uh, well, yeah, you told me last week when you stopped me here. Okay. Um, there are people who are notorious speeders. 
There are also people who are notorious slowers, as I call them. I know it's not a word, but it's very useful. As in, why are all the slowers driving in my lane today? I urge you to adopt it, and pretty soon we'll make its way into the dictionary. The slowers are the ones who aren't going the minimum, while the speeders are the ones going above the maximum. The Corinthians, they had both problems. At the same time, they're speeding and going too slow. Let me explain what I mean. I think it's a fair reading of the text as we get to it that the Corinthians had a problem of a little too much on the old speaking in tongues thing. Because Paul has to rein them in. There's too much. They're speeding. It's excessive in the way it's being used within that church. And so Paul reins it in, and we're going to see that. There's a second problem they've got, though, and that is that the Corinthians did not have a high enough regard for other spiritual gifts. They seem to classify them almost. And the speaking in tongues was the really good, important, and special one that made you superstar spiritual being. As opposed to someone who simply taught the word of God. Or handed brochures out. Or made sure there were donuts there because they served or organized and structured the class so that it went, or ran the equipment, or or worked in the connection group when someone's mother passes away to make sure the family's taken care of, or, or, or comes up with whatever it is you're doing. There are many different gifts. And the Corinthians had this idea that some of them seemed to be more important than others. And they had too little regard for other spiritual gifts. This is what was going on, and this is the context into which Paul writes. See, the Corinthians didn't have our history. And not having our history, they get the lessons and they start learning about Christianity. And they misunderstood what it is to be spiritual. They thought being spiritual was uh, being like the angels. I can remember I was... a believe a junior in high school when I bought Billy Graham's book on angels I was really excited to read it because I thought this is going to open up this huge horizon of spiritual knowledge for me something mystical something you know really cool and I read it and with all due respect to brother Graham found it very blah because I was looking for something That's not really there. Brother Graham was more interested in writing the truth and not the sensational. I wanted a National Enquirer type book (laughs) as opposed to something that was biblical. But you see, the Corinthians, they they thought this angel thing, the spiritual, the, the unseen, oh, it was really good. And they wanted to walk like angels who who don't have gender. And aren't given in marriage as Christ taught. And so even husband and wives were saying, we'll refrain from sexual intimacy. Because we're too holy for that. We're going to walk like angels. Be very spiritual. Oh, and we can can talk like angels. In tongues of angels. 
We can, we can live like them. We can talk like them. Oh, we are truly transcending the world of normalcy as we become hyper-spiritual Christians. And did you know we'll even die like angels? Because Paul's got to tell the Corinthian church in chapter 15, hey, time out. You, you're not just some ethereal spirit forever. You'll get an imperishable body. Don't be thinking you're just some, some ethereal spirit. They miss, the Corinthians did not understand what it meant to be spiritual. For Paul, Paul understood. For Paul, spirituality was living through his human weakness by the power of God. Oh, I'd love, I would, I'll tell you, the doors would, would break down and the crowds would come if we stood up here and told everybody, you want to come here, we're going to teach you spirituality that's going to take you to a whole other level of the world where you'll have ecstatic experiences of angelic blah, blah, blah. But I want to tell you what we're really going to do in this class. We're going to be real. We're going to say we are human beings who live in a fallen world and we have problems. We have real problems. And I'm not as good as I ought to be and neither are you. And as wonderful as my marriage is to Becky, it could be better. And as wonderful a, a parent as I am, <laughs> with a twist of irony, no, I've got a lot of improving to do as a parent. I've got a lot of improving to do as a Sunday school teacher. I've got a lot of improving to do in so many areas of my life. We all do. But I want to tell you, in our weakness, God is made strong. And in our weakness, His power shows. And you want to come to this class. It is my goal, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to teach and lead us in understanding that no matter what we're going through in life, there is the rock a firm foundation on which we stand and the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit is ministering in our midst to teach us and to guide us and to bring us through. Not so we can all have some bizarro experience that quite frankly does not help us when we walk out the door and face our problems. For Paul, spirituality was... And, and Paul says, I didn't come to you with your words of wisdom, this lofty spirituality. He says, I came to you in weakness with the power of God. And that's what he told him. Now, why was Paul addressing the Corinthian issue at all? The Corinthians misunderstood spirituality. And, and the principle we get from this is, again, common sense, but let's put it up is that errors in doctrine lead to problems in the church. There is a reason God gives us truth. He gives us truth because truth nourishes and offers life. And truth dispels the darkness, and in darkness, in falsehood, in lies, there is error. And the errors in the doctrines had led to problems in the Corinthian church. Oh, whenever you start thinking that someone or something or some habit or some approach is more spiritual than the other, don't you know you're going to be dividing the church? It's 
been reported to me by Chloe's people that y'all are fussing. The English Standard Version translate the Greek word fussing into quarreling. But down here in Texas, that's fussing. Y'all were fussing. There's quarreling among you. Some of you are you, oh, I'm a Peter, I'm a Paul. And then there are the spiritual ones. I'm of Jesus. Paul says, what, what are you doing? You out there, you Corinthians, you want to, to act like you're this incredible spiritual giant. You're not a spiritual giant. You're not like the angels. You're babies. I can't even give you meat to eat. You're stuck on the bottles. I'd love to try and address you as spiritual people, but I can't. I can't. You're babies. Now, how does Paul go about fixing this problem? They had too many, they were speeding, and they were slowing. How does Paul fix it? Let's start. He starts. So we'll start with the slowers who had too little regard for the other spiritual gifts. Here's how he starts out. With the slowers, he says, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you what's right. He says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be stupid on this. You need to know. So I'm going to teach you about spiritual gifts so you understand what they are. First of all, there is one God, one Spirit, who is behind a variety of gifts. There's a, there's a, there's a smorgasbord. There's a, there's a buffet. There's lots of different ones. There's a variety of gifts, but it's all from the one Spirit. It's not like, oh, yeah, I got one from the really good Spirit. You got one from the eh, Spirit. No, there's one Spirit who's giving a variety of gifts. There are varieties of ways to serve in the church but the same Lord that we're all serving. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who employs or empowers them all and everyone. By the way, this is a huge verse on the Trinity. We'll hear more about this in the coming weeks. Huge verse on the Trinity. One of the most significant in Scripture. Varieties of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. Varieties of ways to serve, but we're serving the same Jesus. Varieties of activities, but it's God the Father who's empowering them all. What else does he say? He says, God gives you the gifts as God decides it's important for God's purposes in the church. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And he lists a bunch of other gifts. It's not an exhaustive list. You can't say, okay, these are the seven things that the Spirit... No, he's, he's putting them out there. He gives different lists in different times as different things come to him. And he puts at the end the gift of tongues. Speaking and interpreting. But he says, this, as you look at the different gifts that God gives for God's purposes, this is where love comes in. And this is that famous chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It's stuck in the middle of the spiritual gifts, charismatic issues. Right in the middle. Because Paul wants them to know 
that as you're looking at all these different gifts and all these different ways to serve in the church and God can use you in the church and the Holy Spirit can communicate the message of Christ through the body of Christ in all the different ways God can do it, the key to all of them is love. It's giving. It's love. That should be your motivator. That should be your purpose. That should be your result. That's what's the lasting thing. And after 1 Corinthians 13, he plugs right back in. And he says, so pursue love. That's what you ought to be chasing. You ought to be chasing love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. Now, prophesy does not mean stand up and say, um, okay, Gearheart, uh, tomorrow... When you eat lunch, you're going to choke on a chicken bone, so don't order chicken. And that's not what they mean by prophesy. By prophesy, they, they, the, 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 the word for prophesy is, is to proclaim the word of the Lord. Oh, it may entail something in the future. But most times it was a harsh judgment on the present. Or a attaboy for the present. Go back and read the prophets, and you'll see. So, Paul says, that's the one you really ought to be going after. Oh, someone who speaks in a tongue, and he's talking here not about a foreign language, like tongues are used in Acts a lot. Paul's talking here about their angelic tongues that no one understood. Paul says, someone who speaks in a tongue, he's not speaking to God, or to men, he's speaking to God. And nobody understands him. The one who speaks in a tongue, he may be building himself up, but the one who prophesies is building up the church. Now, you want to love your brothers? What do you do in church? Build yourself up or your brothers and your sisters? That's what he's saying. And he, 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 he's just saying, look, this is a church service. This is community worship. And we come together to build up. Oh, I mean, that, that's. do you think David Fleming preaches the sermon he preaches on a Sunday morning because he wants to hear it himself or because he thinks it's good for the congregation? Um, he says, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Okay, next thing. Tongues. Now we're on the excessive part, the speeders. Tongues have a limited value, Paul says. Paul says, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how's anyone going to know what you're saying? You're just like talking into the air. These are Paul's words. He's talking about in a public worship assembly. He says, if, if you can't say something people are understanding then you're not saying anything that benefits other people. It, it, it just doesn't, doesn't happen. So he says they have a limited value. And, and then he, he adds, this is not sour grapes. Nobody should say, yeah, Paul's just saying that because he doesn't know how. Paul says, hey, I thank God. I speak in tongues more than all of you. This is not sour grapes. This isn't, oh, oh Paul just is missing that gift. No, I got it. But, he says, in church, in church, 
I'd rather say five words with my mind that people can understand that would teach them than 10,000 words in some tongue that, they make, that makes no sense to them. Give me five words that people understand rather than 10,000 they don't. Tongues is not at the top of Paul's list. What else does he say? But he puts some very strict limits on tongues in the public assembly. He says everything that's being done in church, all of the gifts of the Spirit in church need to be exercised for building up. If someone's going to speak in a tongue, no more than two or three, each in his turn, and someone's got to be there to interpret what they're saying so that there's some use. And if there's nobody there to interpret, then you've got to keep silent. And just speak to yourself and speak to God. That's the place for it. But not in the public worship assembly. Not in the public worship assembly. Now, I put a postscript on your lesson. And I'm going to put the postscript in here. Instead of... Um, uh, instead of... Um, after the points for home. And I put a postscript in there because one of the emails I got back was from uh, uh, one of my readers uh, uh, and counselors who said to me, you know, I don't really think you're taking a stand here. And I think the class is going to want to know where you stand on this issue. So let me tell you where I stand on this issue. And I say this because this is where I am. I've never claimed to have the word of the Lord on this. This is the result of Mark Lanier's study, okay? I, when I speak to you, I pray the Holy Spirit works through me, but... but and, and, but I also pray that, that what's of him sticks in your minds and what's not doesn't. Because I'm not a perfect man, nor do I have perfect reasoning, nor do I teach perfectly. Okay? So with all of the caveats that I could be wrong, I'll tell you where I stand. I believe biblically there was a, a, a gift of God of speaking in tongues that were in other languages. And I strongly suspect God still works that way today. In mission fields and in places afar, I think we might be amazed at how the Holy Spirit will do the Holy Spirit's work by whatever means necessary. CB radio, if that's the only way Christ can be proclaimed. I also believe that at least in Corinth, there was a New Testament practice of speaking in tongues that were unknown languages to other men. They called them tongues of angels. I think the teaching of Paul is that that may be valuable to some people in their relationship with God. And if so, God bless you. The Holy Spirit can minister through that to your heart and can, can, can uh, uh, move you to a better understanding of God and who he is. That's fantastic. But in terms of a public worship assembly... That's, that's not what edifies. And I'm going to tell you, if someone stood up in a public, and I've been in them, in a public worship assembly, and I've had someone stand up and speak in an unknown tongue. Uh, we were at a Hindu wedding in Dallas last night, and Becky and I leaned over because what that guy was saying sounded pretty much like the speaking in tongues, but that was actually a language that was Hindu. Okay? I've been in a church service where someone has stood up and spoken in an unknown tongue, and someone has stood up and translated, translated, interpreted, whatever you want to call it. 
And I want to tell you, in the back of my brain, I'm sitting there measuring everything being said by Scripture. Because there's no doubt in my mind that the Holy Spirit has spoken here. And the Corinthians may have had need for something from the Spirit in a way, a communication form, that I don't have that need for. I'm very concerned at someone who does a gift of the Spirit that I can imitate. Because I don't think I can really imitate a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm very skeptical about the use of such a thing in church. I would much rather have someone speak five words from Scripture than five words I can't understand and I'm relying on someone else. Um, that's where I am. Hey, I'm not saying it's the holiest place to be, but it's where I am. Uh, I, can, I can tell you I emailed out this lesson to Pastor Fleming. Um, among others. And it's worth noting his email back to me. I don't think he would object to me reading this. Um, he emailed me back yesterday and he said the following Hey, bro, this. <laughs> That's me. And basically says this is a great handling of a potentially very thorny issue. Great job. I think we should hang on to it and distribute it whenever the subject is brought up. And it is from time to time. Thanks for your hard work. The, so I say that to say that, that I'm not speaking out of the authority structure within this church as I teach this class. I try to be very sensitive to that. But I also tell you that to tell you that, that I think... David would agree, our pastor would agree, with, with by and large where we're coming from on this issue. So with that, let me tell you next week, we're going to start with the Trinity. It's going to really be fun, fascinating, and challenging. Here are your points for home. You live in the gap, and while you're in the gap, you've been given a manifestation, maybe more, but you, the Spirit is, manifestation's not singular here. You've been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the good. In other words, the Spirit dwells within you, the believer. And do you know why? Because He wants to do good for all of the church. You and I are one of the ways the Spirit communicates and works. And it's through your gifts. And so look for them. Number two, pursue love. Whatever your gift is, it's nothing without love. Even if you speak in the tongues of angels, if you don't have love, you're like a clanging cymbal, Paul says. You've got to have love for anything to matter at all. So it's never, gee, look, I'm better than you. It's always, how can I serve you? That's what the Spirit's trying to do. Final point for home. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Figure out how God's blessed you. How has he blessed you with an ability to minister and serve in the church? He has. If you've got the Holy Spirit, he's blessed you with, with abilities to minister and serve in the church. And figure out what they are and go for them. Then you're doing God's work. Would you pray with me? 
Lord, it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit will work. And Lord, if in any way I have overstepped your bounds of truth in this class, I pray that, that you'll wash clean my message. Because, Lord, we earnestly desire your spirit. We earnestly desire it in all ways. Lord, I readily confess I would love a miraculous dispensation of your spirit to do mighty, incredible wonders. But, Lord, I can think of no greater wonder than the opportunity to speak about you and, and your son and what you did for us and how you guide us through the nitty-gritty sweat and dust and dirt and tears of this world changing us into the likeness of your son Lord if I can be part of that plan then I'm the most blessed of all people and we all are and so I earnestly pray that you would give us all an humble loving desire and recognition of how you can work through us to glorify Jesus in our midst and in our world. For it is through Jesus that we pray. Amen.